Right. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome. My name is Umer Gilani. I'm a product manager for the Amazon S3 team. Very happy to have you guys here. Really excited to talk about some of the new announcements we've made for Amazon S3 this week. Some very cool stuff coming up. Um, we also have here John Elliott from Pinterest. John helps, uh, John, John helps manage the data and storage platform for Pinterest using Amazon S3 to build a global visual petabyte scale search engine. I think the way John put it for me was the world's catalog of ideas. Got that right? Yeah. So, so we'll hear about how Pinterest leverages Amazon S3 at scale. Should be pretty exciting. So with that, let's get started. So about this session today, I'm going to spend a little bit of time talking about how we at Amazon S3 think about storage management and why that's important for us and our customers. After that, we'll, we'll dive into some of the new stuff that we've announced this, uh, this week, um, which essentially helps customers understand what storage they have on S3, monitor how their storage is being used, and then use all of this intelligence and all of this information to more effectively manage your storage in S3 and get more value out of your data in S3. We'll then quickly pull that together and talk about what that means for you. And then we'll hand it over to John to talk about how Pinterest uses Amazon S3 and some of the new capabilities that, that we just announced. So why is storage management important for our customers? Now, our customers love Amazon S3 because it just works. A lot of you in this room, I'm sure, are either using Amazon S3 or at least are considering using S3 at scale for your data lake, for your data lakes. But, you know, the thing I hear about uh, from customers about S3 all the time is that it is simple to use. That is sort of the, the biggest value proposition that I put my data, it's always there, it's highly durable, it's highly available, it's always available for me to use, and I can come back and get my data whenever I need it. And those principles are core to Amazon S3, and we're always focused on making sure that we provide the highest durability and the highest availability and the highest quality of service for our customers. But another big aspect of, of what we do is scale. We think of ourselves as the, the storage for the internet, and as such, we have to think internet scale. And that is a big value for our customers because you don't need to worry about scale. We have customers you know, who have trillions of objects in S3. We regularly serve up to millions of transactions per second. We have customers from the hundreds of petabytes all the way to exabytes on S3. And that really kind of speaks to how we help our customers grow their business in S3 without having to worry about durability, availability, or even scale. But as you get to that scale, there are a few set of interesting problems that come in, right? Because at the end of the day, when you use S3 as your data lake and put all of this information in S3, you want to make sure that you can actually derive value from this data. Data sitting on by itself doesn't really help. What you want is to be able to understand what you have and then pull value from this data, um, you know, leverage the ecosystem that we offer in Amazon uh, web services such as, you know, EMR, use Hadoop, uh, using Hadoop, analyze your information, um, use the new um, uh, Athena service that we announced to crack open your objects and look into uh, and, and, and query your data in S3, or use, the, use Redshift for, for your data warehouse and so forth. So there's all of these different services that we have available that put together make it very easy for you to derive value from your data. But you can't really do that unless you know what data you have. And that is a very common question I get from customers is that, you know, I know my data is secure, it's sitting in S3, but I need help understanding what is that, right? What data do I have? How is that being used? And then what can I do about it with this information? And it all kind of comes down to data-driven intelligent storage management. And that was a big part of the focus that, uh, for the team this year 
which led to these announcements that we have for S3. And we wanted to make sure that we provide you with a robust set of tools that help you get to this, uh, this insight about your data on S3 and better manage this information. So this is a busy slide, and as I, as I was kind of building this, I was thinking, you know, it's, it's a lot of content. But that really speaks to uh, the focus that we have in S3 to providing the right set of tools to you guys so that you have the right tools available uh, to both understand your, the data that you have and really kind of um, make your data more useful, derive value from it. At the bottom, you see the core, core platform for S3. And last year, we, we added to this um, uh, with a new storage class that is standard in frequent access. So now you have a choice of storage class for you to select depending on what data you're storing in S3. If you have uh, active data that you read a lot, you have S3 standard. A lot of our customers use that. If you're thinking about archival, you can simply put your data into Glacier um, and, and have very, very low cost storage, and but still have the same 11 lines of durability. And of course, in the middle there, we announced standard and frequent access, specifically designed for those workloads that are infrequently accessed. So you have all of this choice uh, to make sure that you move your data from standard to infrequent access, if that's what makes sense for you, and maybe even archive it and remove it. But in order to manage all of this data, you need the right set of tools. Right? One common example I hear is, you know, I've got 10,000 objects in S3. I can simply use the list API. I can get 1,000 at a time. I just need to call it 10 times. It's great. <coughs> Works perfectly. What happens when you have 800 billion objects in S3, right? You could still use the list API. It absolutely works. Uh, but it is going to be quite a few list API calls, right? And that kind of, is, kind of speaks to the, the core principle of how we think about storage management in S3 is that we think um, it's our job to make sure that we remove undifferentiated heavy lifting on our customers' part. All of these repetitive tasks that customers have to do, um, you can still do, um, but we want to make your lives easier so you can focus on what's important to you, what's important to your business and applications. So let's look at some of these storage management capabilities we have up there. Uh, Lifecycle has been available for a few years. A lot of our customers use this, and this is a simple service, a configuration that you put on your bucket that automatically, based on the rules that you've defined, moves data from one storage class to another or even expires data if that is what you choose. So you can write a policy that says, all of my data that is 60 days old, I don't really use much, so just move it into standard and frequent access. Six months later, move it into, into Glacier because it's ready to be archived. So regardless of the size of, of data that you have or the number of objects that you have, S3 automatically takes care uh, of that for you so that you can focus again on your applications. We have cross-region replication, another feature for customers who wanna replicate a copy of their data, mostly for compliance reasons, a few hundred miles apart. In those cases, you could either you know, write code to move data or you can simply put a configuration on your bucket and S3 for any new object that comes into your bucket S3 will automatically move that over uh, to a destination bucket of your choice in a different region. We have event notifications that allow you to leverage, again, the ecosystem that we have available in AWS. So you can trigger multiple services when an event happens in S3. So when, let's say, a new object gets put, you can trigger a notification, have that delivered either to SQS, SNS, or even trigger a Lambda function to kick off those compute functions to maybe create a thumbnail for a new object, that new image that, that you uploaded. Uh, but again, leveraging the, the broader ecosystem that, you have, that we have available for S3 to derive more value from your data. And then we have a whole suite of services that we announced this week. In fact, just curious, how many of you guys were aware of the new features that we announced in S3 this week? There is a lot going on, so okay. So that's why we're here. That's great. Um, so 
The first one I want to quickly talk about, and we will go into detail for each of these in the session here, um, is, is S3 object tags, a completely new way for you to organize data in S3 and manage your data based on the metadata that you have or information that you have about your objects. For instance, you might add a tag on an object that says, this is log data. And then you have an entire workflow defined on when you want to move that log data into standard and frequent access, when you want to uh, archive that or delete that. But now you can manage your data based on what it is as opposed to where it's stored. And that, we think, is super powerful. We also have, we're also improving and making it easier for you to both operationally manage uh, the, the performance of your, of your applications in S3 and understand what experience your users are actually getting with a whole suite of new CloudWatch metrics. Um, we also announced a new feature called S3 Inventory, which really is an alternate, an asynchronous alternate to list API. Uh, going back to this example that I talked about just now, that if you've got hundreds of billions of objects, you could either uh, write code to list all of that, um, or you can simply put this configuration on your bucket, and S3 will create that uh, an entire list of all of your data along with its relevant metadata and deliver that to an S3 bucket of your choice. So you can then simply pick that up and kick off your downstream workflows. Another very exciting service that we're announcing is S3 Analytics, uh, which essentially does analysis about your data. It is data about your data. Right? In this case, uh, we, we're announcing a storage class analysis, a new type of analysis in, in S3 Analytics, which will automatically look at all of his usage patterns and uh, show you the observed usage patterns and actually help you understand what parts of your storage are heavily used versus infrequently accessed so you can make the right decisions around moving this data into the right storage class. And then lastly, uh, we announce even better integration with AWS CloudTrail with S3 data events, which allows you to use our CloudTrail service, which is our audit logging service, uh, to not only track bucket level operations, but operations on your objects. So let's dive a bit deeper, right? So the first question of, you know, how do we help our customers understand what storage they have on S3? A lot of our customers today um, are using features like server access logs. Now, these are logs that we have available in S3, and you can turn this on for your bucket for free. Um, and this gives, delivers a, a complete log, activity log, uh, and puts it in an S3 bucket of your choice. Um, we have customers who are listing all of S3, picking up these access logs, and then running EMR jobs uh, to then analyze all the usage information and then come up with meaningful insights, actionable insights for themselves. And John's going to talk a bit about this. He knows, he knows a little bit about this. Um, and, and so, you know, that's, that's, that's great. And if a lot of times there are very meaningful, there's very meaningful insights that you can derive from your usage patterns to improve your business processes. Um, but we, again, want to make it easier for our customers to do so. And that is where inventory and S3 analytics help. So looking at inventory a bit closer, so this is about, um, you know, the most common use case I hear from inventory really is that, you know, I want to trigger some downstream workflow uh, and make decisions about my data, but I really can't do that without knowing what I have. So a lot of these workflows really start with a list of data that you have. You might be kicking off a big data job, which again needs to list all of the data before it pulls it into, into HDFS and you start kicking off your, your, your MapReduce job. Or you might have a downstream workflow uh, for a secondary index that you want to validate, which again, you need a list of all of the data in S3 so you can validate that your index is accurate or update your index, you know, garbage collection or data auditing and offline analytics. There's all of these different use cases that we have, all of which start with customers having to list all of their data or parts of their data in S3. And that's where S3 inventory helps. 
it saves time because it is a simple configuration. You can put it on a bucket and forget about it, fire and forget, and S3 will automatically do the work, get that, cre that list created in a simple CSV file format, and deliver it to an S3 bucket of your choice. Um, you can decide to do this on a daily basis. You can get a daily, daily list of your, uh, of your objects in S3, or you can do this on a weekly basis as well. And it is extremely cost efficient. It is actually half the price of the list API today, not to mention that you'll have to use some sort of compute to kick off those list, uh, list operations. But just the list request cost itself, it actually costs you half the price of, of, of that uh, to enable this. Um, so again, making it very, very easy, low cost for customers to do um, to get information about their data in S3. So here's a list of all of the information that we provide as part of this, right? But I think the key point here really is that in addition to what data you have, we provide you, provide you with all the relevant metadata that's available in the List API today, plus more information. For instance, replication status. That's not something that's available in the List API. But we heard customers ask for this because a lot of times for compliance reasons, when I have cross-region replication enabled, I need to go back and be able to answer what percentage of my data had successfully replicated or was in flight, you know, 10th of last month. And for, for use cases like those, you can simply enable inventory and then store this in your, in your S3 bucket. And when somebody asks a question, you can simply go back and look at exactly what the status of replication was for any given object. Uh, we will have questions at the end, uh, so we'll make sure both John and I are available for questions. All right, so one thing I wanted to call out um, is, you know, as I mentioned, you, you have the ability to deliver inventory uh, to a bucket of your choice. That bucket does need to be in the same region, and you need to make sure that you have the right set of permissions uh, available on that. You know, this kind of speaks to um, how important, how much importance we give to security. We want to make sure that your data is always secure in S3. Uh, so, so we, you, as a customer, you need to make sure you go put the right uh, permissions in your destination bucket, uh, as well as enabling the configuration on your S3 bucket. So, just something to keep in mind as you guys start playing around with this. All right. So how does inventory work? It is basically um, a rolling snapshot of all of your data in S3. Right? But a very common question I hear from customers is, well, when do I know that the list is complete? Because I've got so many objects, right? It's going to start showing up the CSV files. It, it, it wouldn't be one file. It would actually be a set of different files. Uh, just so it's easier for you to pull that information uh, in, your, in your workflows. Um, but how do you know what files are part of my list? How do I know that the list is complete? So the way that structure would work is that once you specify a destination bucket and prefix for us, within that prefix we will create a data prefix uh, as well as a date uh, for the report. The data prefix is going to have a compressed list of all the CSVs for your inventory. Um, once that is complete, S3 will then come back and put uh, a manifest file in, uh, in the, the day of report, the date uh, prefix. So you can simply go into the date prefix and look for the manifest. Once that shows up, the manifest.checksum, um, you can then, again, use event notifications that we just talked about to trigger a notification, to trigger maybe Lambda code or, or put it in SNS or SQS uh, to, to let your application know that the list is now complete and it can come in and pull data from S3 and then uh, move on with the downstream workflow. So I mentioned S3 is, is, an, is, an, uh, is a rolling snapshot. So there's a couple of important considerations for you, uh, for you guys. Uh, one is 
S3 is eventually consistent for, for uh, read after update operations. For uh, read after write operations, it is strongly consistent. But if you're updating objects, um, S3 is eventually consistent. And that kind of shows in the inventory as well, uh, where let's say you triggered inventory for today, and, and you also put in a bunch of objects. Um, you should not expect a guarantee for those objects to be in your inventory. So you need to check, right? And really the, uh, the, the thing to remember is, you know, validate before you act, right? You need to make sure that if, let's say, you're putting an object in S3 and you want to make sure that you're not duplicating it, so you're checking the inventory, make sure you check, you do a head uh, on the bucket as well to make sure that the object isn't there and you're not clobbering it. Or if you want to remove an object, um, uh, same same guidance there. Or if you're trying to get an object, right? You don't really need to do a head in that case because get will actually return the appropriate error because it is possible that you kicked off a list and at the same time you deleted an object. It may be in your inventory list, but it will, you know, the object has actually been deleted. So those are sort of considerations you need to think about as you use inventory for your workflows. All right, so let's talk a bit about analytics. This, the goal for this really is to help customers make data-driven decisions around storage management. And the most common question I hear from customers is that, you know, I, I'm really interested in standard infrequent access. I actually know that a lot of my data is infrequently accessed. I just don't know what parts of it, right? In some cases, it's a very easy decision. It's an archival workload. I know I just never read the documents, so you can simply move them into Glacier. But other times, data actually cools down over time. So uh, you might be viewing a video very, very actively for one week, maybe two, maybe three. Um, and then over time, it cools down and it becomes um, a valid candidate for data into, into standard and frequent access. But how do I know that? Because I don't, you know, unless I build those EMR jobs, it'll be very hard for me to understand the actual usage pattern so that I can make an informed decision. And that's where analytics helps. Uh, again, a simple configuration you can enable on your bucket. Um, but we wanted to go beyond that, right? We don't enable this just for your bucket. We could if, if that's what you want. But you also have the ability uh, to enable this for specific prefixes within your bucket. And that's important because a lot of our customers have multiple workloads running within the same bucket. Um, so in order to get the right kind of insight and the right level of uh, understanding, you'll want to analyze these separately, right? Because if you merge all of this together, you'll see an aggregate usage pattern. So maybe I have a very, very active workload and a, uh, and a workload that just isn't being read at all. If you, if you analyze everything together in your bucket, you will lose some fidelity as opposed to analyzing it just for that specific application. And that's where prefixes uh, help. And then object tags is another way we allow you to, to analyze. And we'll talk a bit more about how tags work. The goal really is to make it easier for you to make uh, decisions on storage class analyses and find candidates for lifecycle transitions. Um, and in addition to uh, providing the analyses in the in the S3 console itself, we actually help you uh, export. We allow you to export this data as well, if, in case you want to use your own your own tools. And it is extremely cost effective. Only 10 cents per million objects analyzed per month. Much much lower cost than what it will cost you to build your own EMR job. And as I mentioned, you do have the ability to, to export this and use your own BI tools. So let's take a look real quick at what this looks like in action. So. Okay, you guys can see that? All right, so another update that we made with this announcement is actually a new console for, for S3. You can opt into this by simply going to the announcements banner in your in your uh, previous in the, in the older S3 console, so when you do click in S3, you'll see a list of buckets. There's an announcement banner on the right. You can opt into this new console, and you can of course decide to opt out as, of this as well. 
within this new console, uh, so I've, so over here I've created a, a bunch of buckets that have enabled CloudTrail, so that's been created, and I created two different uh, prefixes. One is for my data lake corp, and another one I'm calling data lake production. So let's go into the data lake production. So over here, I have three different workloads. I have, um, I have archival, I have my, my daily Spark job, and I have sales material as well. So, you know, archival is pretty obvious, and you know, I probably don't really use the archival, so it might be a good candidate for transitioning into a lower cost storage option. I have a daily Spark jobs, as the name indicates, it's probably very heavily used. And then I have sales material, and I have no idea of what the usage pattern is on this. So let's start with that. Um, you now have a new management tab on the top that you can click, which then shows you and allows you to configure and enable all of the new features we're talking about today, um, such as analytics, metrics, and inventory. So let's, we're starting with analytics here. So you see storage class analysis here, and on the left-hand side is where you go to enable storage class analysis for your bucket prefix or tag. I've pre-enabled this for my for the three prefixes that we just looked at for, looked at for archival, uh, for daily Spark job, and sales material. So in the interest of time, I'm going to focus on on my sales material here. So when I click on this, I see my analyses, and so let's go through what what we have in, available. So the first thing to note is this console is updated every single day. Every day, S3 pulls all of this information for for on your usage pattern, analyzes it makes it uh, available in an easy-to-consume uh, data output format, and also updates the console. So you can come back, and every day you will see data um, uh, for, uh, for the latest analysis. So on the top here, you can see that there's, an, there's actually a notification. S3 actually has observed a usage pattern and wants to let you know about, uh, wants to tell you about that. So over here, this was updated yesterday. Um, and says, and, you know, based on your usage pattern over the past 123 days, and that's the amount of time I enable analytics, um, we observe that you, your data that is older than 90 days is actually a good candidate for standard infrequent access. Now, the good thing about this is it is still your decision, right? Uh, you, you may have additional information about your data that you might want to pull in, but based on what's actually happening in the past, we think that data that is, uh, we know that data that's, that's over 90 days old is infrequently accessed. Uh, but then we also kind of show our work, right? We show you how we got to that that observation. So if you see here um, on top, you know, what is the status today? Well, today, or, or as of yesterday, the last analysis, um, here's how much data you have in standard, and you don't have anything in NSIA because we don't show that there. And I've got 2.9 petabytes of storage, and I actually retrieved two petabytes of that just yesterday. This seems like a very, very heavily used prefix, and, but, but then you still have that recommendation. So let's see how we kind of got to that. If you scroll down, you see these two graphs. The first kind of helps you at a, take an at-a-glance view of you know, how much of my storage am I actually reading. This graph shows you your bytes stored in standard, um, as well as the bytes retrieved every single day um, as, as a trend over time. And you can kind of see that I do retrieve about two petabytes of the 2.9 petabytes that I have stored. So I, I am actually retrieving a lot. The graph below this then shows you the actual data for this, right? The actual percentage of your storage that you're retrieving. So you can see here um, that I retrieve, you know, between 64 and 72 percent of my data, and it is trending down a little bit over time. So that's interesting information, um, but it is still above 65 percent of my data that I retrieve on a daily basis. 
But if you scroll down here, you see more detailed analyses that we've done on your data, not just based on the aggregate usage, but also broken down by age tiers. And that's important because the decision that you're going to make around what data to move into standard and frequent access um, uh, and, and you know, kind of configuring the lifecycle policy, you'll need to know whether you set the policy to 60 days or 80 days or 90 days in this case. And that's what, where this visualization helps, right? So we analyze over the past 122 days the age breakdown of your data. The first tile then shows you that, that your data that is less than 30 days old on average, you know, you read about 200 terabytes, uh, so you store about 206 terabytes and you read 288 terabytes of that on average. So it's very heavily read, right, the newer objects that you have. And then you can see that for the 30 to 45 days, 45 to 60 days, 60 to 90, and so forth. And you see here that for the last two tiles, the 90 to 180 and 180 plus days, I actually don't retrieve a lot. Even though I get, on average, two petabytes of my, uh, you know, about 60 or 70, 75% of my data every day, um, there is still an opportunity for me to move over a petabyte of data into standard infrequent access. Now, that is something that you were not able, uh, that is information that you did not have earlier, and this is based on your actual usage pattern. Now you have the data to make a confident decision to, 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 uh, to transition this one petabyte of information into SIA, and you also know what to set in your lifecycle policy, if you so choose. So that, again, is an example of how we make it easier for customers uh, uh, by providing the right data to manage their data in an effective way um, and improve their storage footprint. But we don't stop here, right? So this was a visualization that you see in the console. Um, as I mentioned before, you can actually export this data. So you see here there's an export data option. You can click on that and you can select the destination bucket on, and every day when we complete our analyses, we would deliver this to your S3 bucket as well. Um, and, we, and what I've done here is I've actually analyzed this data in QuickSight. So I'll quickly go into this and you see essentially this, the same data uh, visualized the same way. Um, but if I quickly go back to this analysis, right, you might ask the question, okay, I, I think I know that I can move data that's older than 90 days. Whatever, what about data from 60 to 90 days? You know, I know it's being heavily accessed today, but I don't see a trend over time. I don't know if it's getting colder or hotter over time. Right? Can I get to that level of information? And the answer is yes, because in QuickSight, and I'll quickly scroll down to the visualization that is interesting for that. So what I've done here is, because all of that export data is available for me, I've plotted this data, each, for each of the tiles, I've plotted them separately as a trend over time. So the orange one that you see at the top, right, is the 75 to 89 days aged here. And you can see here that, you know, I read about 200% of that, and then over time, between August and November, it's come down to about, um, you know, 140%. 136%. So it is trending down, not by a lot, but it is getting colder over time. So that's, you know, again, more advanced insights that you can get about your data by analyzing the data using, using your own tools. Okay. All right. So a quick note, um, because we allow you to configure multiple, config multiple uh, prefixes or tags for S3 analytics, uh, you have the ability to set separate policy documents, which makes it, again, easier for you to manage, and you have the ability to configure up to 1,000 policy documents uh, for, um, for S3 analytics. So let's quickly talk about some of the other uh, capabilities um, that, that we launched. So the first is, you know, 
this kind of goes back to how do we help you understand how your data is being used? How do, how do we help you monitor how your data is being used? And we do that by, allow, by providing additional CloudWatch metrics as well as audit log capability. So uh, for CloudWatch, uh, we're providing additional 13 new operational and performance-related metrics um, that are available, again, by your entire bucket, or you have the ability to configure these based on your prefix uh, or tag. Uh, so again, you can create multiple sets of these metrics for your data, depending on how you organize your data in S3. These are one-minute metrics and are delivered to CloudWatch, so you can actually use uh, the multiple, the, the, the advanced capabilities that are available in CloudWatch, set it, such as setting an alarm uh, on metrics. So quickly, scrolling back to our demo, I want to show you uh, the metrics, and we'll walk through all the metrics that are available as well. Okay. So if I go back to my bucket list and log into a bucket under management, and if I click on the metrics tab, the first thing I see is storage-related metrics. You actually see your bytes stored on a daily basis. You see I created this demo bucket about two, three days ago, uh, and I've been adding data to it since. And I also have the number of objects stored in this bucket. So this is bucket-level information at this point. But if I click on requests, and just click on 1R, and you can change the fidelity of this, um, on the left-hand side you can see that I've enabled this for the bucket or specific prefixes uh, and tags within the bucket. So finance apps 2 is actually a tag that I put on data between different prefixes. And then HR and sales apps are, are prefixes. Um, but at the bucket level, let's quickly go through this. You know, you have request level metrics such as get requests. So this is count for gets that you see delivered at one minute intervals to CloudWatch and visualized here as well. You also have put requests, list requests, all requests, post, delete, uh, and so forth. So all of the requests that uh, you know kind of get, help you understand the usage pattern of your data um, and better operationally manage your data uh, are available here, such as forexx. So if you see, if you kind of pause at this one for a second here, this this tells me the total forexx error response codes that I have for this bucket, in, you know, for the past hour. So that then helps me you know, understand when there is an issue, and I can actually click on View in CloudWatch and launch. Uh, this will take me to CloudWatch Console, and I can quickly set an alarm on this um, to, uh, to trigger and let me know when my 4xx count jumps up unexpectedly so I can take action on that. You also have data transfers. There's also a number of metrics that help you understand the performance of your data in S3. So this here, for instance, shows you uh, the total request latency the first byte latency, as well as the bytes downloaded and uploaded for this specific bucket. And if you click on the filter on the left, you will be able to see this at, by prefix or by tag as well. Okay. So next we want to talk about CloudTrail, right? So the audit logging service that allows you to keep track of who is accessing my data, when are they accessing it, um, when are they accessing it, and, um, and you know, enable auditability for both your bucket-level operations and now also your object-level operations, which makes it easier for you to perform security analyses and meet those IT uh, and compliance uh, auditing requirements that you have. Um, and this, this is, again, is, is very cost-effective, uh, dollar per million data events recorded by CloudTrail. And because this is CloudTrail, uh, you get to use all the other tools that surround the ecosystem for CloudTrail. Again, leveraging the other capabilities we have available 
in AWS. So let's talk about object tags, right? So this is really about taking action. So all of the features that we've been talking about is providing you with information and arming you with knowledge and data so you can take intelligent decisions. Now let's talk about how do we enable you to make those decisions. All of the services that I have listed there help with that, right? Lifecycle, for instance, simple policies that you put in, and then Lifecycle takes the action on your behalf. Uh, but the new thing that we launched here is object tags. So let's talk about that for a second, right? Object tags help you easily manage and control access for your data in S3. And you can do that based on metadata that you place on the object using the tag. So this is about co-locating the metadata you have, information about your data, with the actual objects in S3, which makes it much easier for you to manage, manage your data and take decisions based on that metadata. It allows you to classify your data. You might add a tag such as HIPAA is equal to true to identify objects that are subject to HIPAA compliance requirements. It is a simple key value pair. Um, and, and it gives you a lot of capabilities. Like first off, you can write IAM policies based on this to then control access saying data that is, that is classified as application A, only the folks working in this specific IAM role or specific group should have access to that data. It is fully integrated with all the different capabilities we have in, in Amazon S3, such as lifecycle policies. So now you have the ability to write lifecycle policies instead of for specific prefixes. You can say, regardless of where it's stored, data that is HIPAA needs to be archived to Glacier. Data that's tagged logs I don't care about can be deleted in 90 days. So you, you, know, you get a lot of control over your data based on this. And then, of course, we talked about an, uh, the, the new analysis services, uh, such as metrics and, cloud, uh, and S3 analytics, all of them allow you to, to filter your data based on tags so you can get all of those insights uh, depending on how you've organized your data. Uh, a quick deeper look. Um, you can add up to 10 tags per object because these are object level tags. And an important consideration is that these are completely mutable. You can change, add, edit, remove these tags anytime you want. You have the ability to control access on it, who can change what tag, um, but they are mutable. And you can add up to 10 tags per object. Um, and we follow the same conventions um, as AWS does for tag definition. So you know, the same restrictions that we have on adding a tag for EC2 instance apply to this, these tags as well. And there are two ways you can add these tags to your objects. You can either decide to put the tag with the individual object by using the simple put API that we have today, the put object API. And, and optionally, you can specify the tag. Or for existing objects, there's a new API for put object tagging that you can use, and you can specify the tag set for that. And, and it's simple per tag pricing, uh, a cent per 10,000 tags per month. <clears throat> I mentioned that you can use this with lifecycle policies. So talking a bit about this, right? not only does it make it easier for you to take, make, uh, make lifecycle decisions based on the metadata you have in your tags, um, but you can actually mix and match. Right? You can write a policy that says, I want to, to archive all the data that is in prefix A, that is you know, in my archival folder, and that has a tag log. Logs is equal to true. So that data I want to delete in 90 days. And for the other data that is in the archival folder, that is tagged um, important data I do not delete. I want to archive that to Glacier. So you have all of this flexibility to actually have, uh, specify a policy with both a prefix and a tag. All right, so, so what does this mean for you? What this means is that S3 is providing you with a robust set of tools uh, and, a, and, a, and a very complete storage management portfolio of services for you to then understand what data you have in S3, 
understand how it's being used, and then take meaningful, intelligent data-driven decisions on managing that data. Right? This then enables you to derive more value from your data, making your data more useful, and making it easier for you to, to, to add more value to your business. So with that, let's hand it over to John to talk about how Pinterest uses these capabilities on S3. Thank you. You guys hear me? Cool. Hey everybody, I'm John Elliott. Uh, I'm the manager of data and storage uh, site reliability at Pinterest. Uh, work in Pinterest Infrastructure Engineering Group. Uh, I've been working there about two and a half years, so we're the team that uh, manages all the infrastructure uh, that powers all of the Pinterest services, so home feed, online serving, big data platform, uh, real-time services, search serving, search backends. Um, so Pinterest has been running on AWS 100% since 2010. Um, let's see. So hopefully a lot of you already know what Pinterest is. Uh, if you don't, uh, we like to think of Pinterest as the world's catalog of ideas. So it's a place where you can go search for just about anything, anything you're interested in. Um, hopefully discover new things and then become inspired by those things and then go do them in real life. So that's kind of how we like to think of the service. Um, so we have depends on just about any topic you can think of, um, you know, food, style, automotive, uh, travel, anything you're interested in. So we have 80 billion pins in our system today, um, and those pins are categorized by people into more than 2.6 billion boards. Um, so when you have that kind of scale, that means you have a lot of infrastructure and you have a lot of data. So today in uh, S3, we have over 140 petabytes of data. Um, we actually have 150, I think we added 10 since we created this slide, so we probably added another one since I started talking. But, um, so we're adding 80 terabytes of new raw log data every day. Um, that's not counting all the derived data that our, uh, you know, like Hadoop is creating and all of our data processing is creating. So almost entirely all of that 150 petabytes that's in S3 is log data, right? And this is just a high-level overview of the logging infrastructure that's creating all that data. So there's probably nothing like too novel about this setup. You've probably seen logging pipelines like this before. But just real quick, the client sends a request to our app fleet running in AWS, our app services. Uh, they write their log files to an in-house open source uh, consumer called Singer. Uh, Singer then streams that log data to our Kafka infrastructure. Um, from there, there's uh, different real-time consumers that actually read directly from Kafka, like Spark Streaming, Apache Storm, MemSQL, and then some other uh, in-house consumers we have. But the majority of the data uh, gets consumed from Kafka by another in-house open source uh, service called Secker Merced. And this service is mainly uh, concerned with kind of sanitizing that data uh, converting it into different formats like uh, sequence file format, parquet, ORC format, and then compressing that data and uploading it into S3. <clears throat> Once data is in S3, almost all of it gets consumed by a Hadoop workflow at some point. Uh, we have a pretty massive Hadoop uh, deployment uh, in AWS. Um, and so we, we use S3 as uh, essentially our persistent data store, right, for HDFS. So, uh, Hadoop reads in the data from S3. It does its intermediate uh, processing in the cluster and then writes that data back to S3 where it's persistent. 
And this is just a kind of a visualization of our growth in S3 over the last three and a half years. Um, in June 2013, I think we had about five petabytes of data. And uh, as our user growth, uh, user base has grown and our advertising business is scaling, uh, the growth has just been rapidly increasing. And it's also because uh, we're adding more products and more services to the site. So a user session now generates far more API calls and more logging than it used to. Uh, we're also adding more fields into those logs, so we're just generating a lot of data now. Uh, so since January 2014, it's grown almost 1,500%, uh, and it's just uh, growing like crazy. So, All right, so let me just uh, digress for a second. I'm gonna explain what's going on in this slide. Uh, so when you have that much data, um, it's very natural to start asking these questions like, uh, you know, what is creating all this data? Do we need all this data? Who is the owner of the data? Um, and so earlier in this year, uh, we had a kind of uh, a pressing cost issue, and underlying the cost issue uh, were two other issues. And one is attribution, as in who owns the data or what kind of categories is data in. Uh, and that issue is going to actually be resolved through the object tagging. I think that Omer was talking about earlier. We're going to start using that in our workflows to start kind of creating this like taxonomy of our data in S3. But the other issue underlying that is uh, cost efficiency or efficiency. So to address that, uh, we ended up writing these, uh, these tools that would give us information about the access patterns of our data in S3, right? So we ended up writing a series of Spark jobs. Uh, we chose Spark because the Scala SDK has these kind of very high performance parallelized lists against S3. And the way it would work is we would run this inventory job that would list the top 200 or 300 prefixes uh, contained maybe 100 billion objects. So we had to be kind of limited in the scope of what we could list just going through the front end uh, S3 API. Uh, it wasn't feasible to list everything, so we had to kind of just list like a subsection of the data. And then we would take the uh, S3 API operations log for that bucket that you can just enable through normal bucket logging in S3. And uh, the API log is just a list of all the gets, the puts, the heads, the list, everything that's going on in, uh, in S3 with that bucket. So we'd generate these reports and then join the data by prefix. And then that would create this thing we called the efficiency report. And we would load that into Redshift and then do like interactive queries against it. And it would kind of look like uh, you'd have like prefix and then you'd have storage here, whether it was standard or infrequent. And then you'd have like the ratio of gets and puts relative to the total amount of storage. Um, you'd have total gets or puts against a prefix over some like time horizon, like 60 or 90 days. And so what that, allowed us to see was uh, there were some prefixes that had like nothing but puts, um, but no gets, meaning some Hadoop job is just writing that data and not, no one's ever reading the data back, like it's not being used for anything. So then we'd find out, hey, can we shut that workflow off or do we even need this data? There were other cases where there was just no gets or puts on the data at all, and then we would say, well, can we just delete this data? And then there were some cases where there were uh, gets in the first 30 days, but then no gets beyond that, right, in the last 60 or 90 days. So then we thought, okay, uh, considering that, can we just move this to infrequent access and achieve some kind of cost efficiency? And that's what we did. Uh, so we were able to move like 35 to 40% of our data into infrequent access using that tool. <clears throat> so now we're using this uh, thing that Omer was just talking about, the S3 inventory. So this 
is now providing like a full uh, bucket inventory, full object listing of everything that's in S3, which wasn't, we weren't able to do that before, right? And it's just available in an S3 bucket in like a CSV format. So we can just kind of take that and ingest it into our workflow. And now we can get like the full picture of what's going on in S3. And it only takes 20 minutes to run now because we don't have to do our own inventory. Uh, before that was like a six to eight hour workflow. Um, and with any workflow, it's always like falling over and you know, there's always like maintenance that goes along with that. Um, so this has been like a huge gain for us. But in the new world, uh, we're gonna start using S3 Analytics. Um, so I just started using it the other day. I was emailing Amer like every day, like when can I have access to it? <laughs> um, so this is gonna kind of provide the same functionality that that efficiency report was providing. Uh, and perhaps we can like deprecate that report altogether. Um, but this tool is kind of a good example of uh, like how an AWS customer can really work closely with AWS to influence their roadmap. Um, earlier in the year when we were working on the efficiency uh, report, I uh, kind of kicked off this conversation with AWS and kind of asking them like, hey, how can we get this same data like through the S3 console? Or like, what, what, like how could we like operationalize this? So we started collaborating with them and uh, you know giving them feedback and then they would show us mock-ups and then give us feedback about that. And we kind of had this nice like collaboration loop going. And uh, I feel like S3 Analytics is kind of like the uh, end result of that. So it's uh, I'm turning it on for like, uh, I think a thousand prefixes already. Um, I'm gonna start monitoring and I anticipate uh, in the next 60 days or so, uh, achieving pretty good like cost savings by migrating data based on its recommendations. Um, so yeah, with that, I, also, I just want to give a uh, shout out to uh, Solutions Architect, uh, Hisham Baz at AWS, who really helped us a lot with this stuff. And uh, also, uh, careers.ventures.com, we're, we're always hiring. And uh, with that, I guess I'll turn it over to Omer. Yeah, yeah I think, uh, thank you. Right, I think that's all the content we have. We've got plenty of time for questions. If you want to come up to the mic so everyone can hear your questions, uh, both John and I are happy to answer any questions you might have.